Hello, I'm Joanne Diaz. And I'm Abram Van Ingen. And this is Poetry for All. In this podcast, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. Today, we will be discussing what is probably one of the most famous of all American poems, Robert Hayden's Those Winter Sundays. Robert Hayden was one of the greatest poets of the 20th century. He was born as Asa Bundy Sheffy in the Paradise neighborhood of Detroit in 1913, and he had a strict and difficult upbringing with adoptive parents. He went on to study poetry with the great W.H. Auden, and then, as a teaching fellow, became the first black faculty member at the University of Michigan in their English department. In 1976, he was the first African-American to serve as the consultant in poetry to the Library of Congress, the post that we now call the U.S. Poet Laureate. So that's just a little bit of information about him. Abram, would you like to start us off by reading this poem for us? Absolutely. Those Winter Sundays. Sundays, too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then, with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know, what did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? That's a beautiful reading. I love that poem. That is an amazing poem. Yes. <laughs> I love this poem. That's, that's the end of the episode. That's it. We don't We're done. <laughs> Should we read it again now? That's great. I know. I know. The poem really, it, it's, uh, it's incredible. Yes. Maybe to get into this poem, we should begin at the beginning and work through the lines and think about how it's working. So, so what do you see in that first line? Sundays too, my father got up early. Well, we've talked in this podcast a number of times about the many choices available to any poet when they're writing a line of poetry. And so when I read that first line, Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. The, th- the word that I'm immediately drawn to is such a simple word, too. Now, Robert Hayden could have written something far less poetic, like Sundays my father got up early also, or in addition to every other day of the week, my father got up on Sundays. But he says Sundays too. And that emphasizes for me that on the one day that this father could have gotten a break, right, on a day of rest, he's still laboring. And I think that that labor is at the front of this poem in a very powerful way, precisely because of that word too. Mm-hmm. The placement of words has so much power to create the emphasis for words. If that too even came at the end of the line, it wouldn't have the force it has. So Sundays, my father got up early too. 
But what's, what stands out to me in that opening line is, is this sense of my father. There's a formality there. There's a distance already there created between this person who's, who's remembering his childhood and, and his father in that childhood. And so it's not as surprising when we come to the chronic angers of the house. Right. It's, it's not a daddy. It's not mm. Papa. It's Sundays to yeah. my father got up early. Yeah, that formality is very important because, of course, you may not immediately see it the first few times you read the poem, but of course it is like a modified sonnet. And those first few lines of the poem announce that even if it isn't perfect iambic pentameter, there are rhythms and cadences that Robert Hayden is setting up to alert the reader to the fact that it has that sonnet logic that we've talked about many times in this podcast, right? Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Mm-hmm. There's a way in which that very deliberate meter, yes, there's variation, but there's that walking beat that's the greatest of sonnets has that prepares you for that kind of formal, dignified movement in each of the lines. And just so listeners know who don't have the poem in front of them, this is 14 lines, which is a classic for for a sonnet. Uh, And so one of the questions is, does this have all the classic features of a sonnet? It doesn't have the same sort of end rhyme scheme as, say, a Shakespearean sonnet or a Petrarchan sonnet. One of the questions is, what is rhyme doing in this poem but then in terms of thinking about it as a sonnet, where is a turn? Is there a turn in this poem? And what is that turn? The shape is actually fairly simple. The first 12 lines of the poem allow the poetic speaker to reminisce about what would happen habitually on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So it's that's what the, the majority of the poem, all it's doing is remembering those habitual activities. And then the final two lines, this is why it's a sonnet. Regardless of anything else you want to say, what did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? The meter is fantastic. The pattern of repetition where that 13th line asks twice, what did I know? It's ending with a rhetorical question that is very, very difficult to answer. So basically, if you imagine Robert Hayden's speaker in a posture of remembrance for 12 lines, and then in the final two lines, a posture of almost speaking directly to the audience and saying, what did I know? I I knew nothing. I had no idea until this moment of utterance of the depth and breadth of sacrifice that this man was making for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that dramatic turn, uh, called the Volta, right? That dramatic shift, you can really feel and see it in the poem. And I feel like that's what makes it a sonnet. The poem, by the time you get to that final question, does feel like a poem of gratitude. It might be belated gratitude. It may be a gratitude that the father never gets to hear or read. But it's put out into the universe in a very powerful way. And the one other thread that just structurally uh, holds this poem together is to think about how the one word cold is the only word repeated in each of the three stanzas. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, in the first stanzas, we're we're, we're in the blue-black cold. In the second, we hear the cold splintering. And in the third, the father has driven out the cold. And so there's a there, there's actually a narrative element to what's happening to that coldness throughout this poem. And it's the only word that's repeated from stanza to stanza. 
The interesting thing about the repetition, though, is that he, the father might have been able to successfully drive out the climate-related cold, but he wasn't successful at driving out the coldness in the relationships, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, part of the reason that this is such a belated utterance of gratitude is because there are chronic angers in that house. It's one of the most famous ways of yeah. <laughs> that Jesus, chronic angers. I remember reading that decades ago and thinking, wow, that mm -hmm. is, I know exactly what that is. That is so powerful and so familiar uh, to familial relationships. You know, mm -hmm. I, it's so hard for us <laughs> to just love each other and communicate properly with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it, the chronic angers, what a, a memorable phrase. And that was something that clearly the father was not able to drive out. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, that failure is at the heart of the poem. The complexity of familial relationships that he's able to depict in such a short space is just, it's devastating. And, you know, it, what strikes me too about the poem is that the person who is saying this, the occasion of this poem, you don't get the sense that this, this narrator is with somebody else, that there's anyone else in the room. And so there, there, there feels like there's a kind of coldness and an isolation. That there's a kind of that that the cycle has repeated itself. And and I say that partly because that that two in the first line almost feels sometimes like he is identifying with this father. It's almost as though he's sitting there polishing shoes by himself on a Sunday morning, thinking back to his father doing the same thing, and realizing that this was his attempted bridge. This was his attempt to show his love in a house that knew very little expressions of love. Whoa, okay, that's really helpful because that helps me think about what spurred the poetic speaker into utterance. What What is the dramatic situation the speaker might find himself in? And it seems as if he could not have this realization of love, about love's austere and lonely offices unless he himself saw and inhabited those offices. So I actually, the first time I read it, I remember that I read this poem for a long time, thinking that those were like offices, like in an executive building. Yes, you know? yeah, right. <laughs> and it, work, it actually works that way really well, because if you walk into an austere and lonely office and try to imagine filling that with love or imagine, imagining that as a metaphor for what love can feel like when people don't realize your sacrifices, that actually works really well. But there's another meaning, right, Abram? That last word kills me because, um, you know, we talk about holy offices and we talk about um, the priest as having a holy office and so on. And, and the way that this father is polishing these shoes, it's almost as though they're a kind of relic or a ritual that this is... This is the way of showing love. It's sort of like the way you might prepare communion. This this father polishes shoes on Sunday morning. The other thing about this poem is this priest has created the problem that this priest is trying to solve, right? The chronic mm -hmm. angers in the house are not coming from nowhere. The, mm -hmm. the, the father has caused the problem that the father is, is trying to bridge through these acts of love that are lonely and austere. Uh, and so it, it has that feeling of of almost making holy what is extraordinarily ordinary the polishing of shoes the making of a fire on an early sunday morning yeah i mean it's a poem of reconciliation as well as gratitude then because this poetic speaker is acknowledging that we don't always get the love that we want 
Mm-hmm. So this father, in the way that you're describing these holy offices, that's the love that he's capable of giving, even mm-hmm. if it's not the one that his child needed. Mm-hmm. And for the poet in his maturity and wisdom to be able to recognize that and ask that question at the end is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. So, Jan, we've talked about the structure of this poem, how it's like a sonnet with a big turn at the end, uh, how it's got these surprises in it. But we haven't yet talked about the incredible sounds of this poem. Can you carry us into that? What do you notice about the sounds and how they're working in this poem? Yeah, I think this is where Robert Hayden is a brilliant formalist. And I should say this just as a little side note. This was this is our first Robert Hayden poem, but it will not be the last. <laughs> because I I love so much of his work and admire him a great deal. And uh, a lot of why I admire him is because of his deep and broad engagement with the African American experience. If you if you read this poem in an anthology, which so many people People do, this poem has a kind of transcendence and universality that feels very accessible to any reader. It's a brilliant, brilliant poem. But this is a poet who wrote poems about Frederick Douglass and Nat Turner and Malcolm X and, and the Middle Passage. And he is a poet who's capable of great epic poetry, narrative poetry, other kinds of forms beside the sonnet. I just, I, I can't say enough about him. And the more I learn about him, the more I want to know. He's he's so great. So we will visit those other facets of his greatness in, in other episodes, but that the through line for all of that poetry is his mastery of sound. It's just incredible. So look at what he does. He sort of allows sound, especially assonance within the line, to sort of toss the baton. It's almost like a relay race Mm. where each time there's assonance, it shifts slightly, especially in stanzas one and two. Well, and just so we're clear for, for any listener who might not know, can you define assonance for us? That's when we see vowels within the line resonating with each other. So maybe I could just give a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. We have at the very beginning of the poem, Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. So listen to what he's doing there. He starts with black and cracked. So that's the short A sound, the ah, ah, right? Mm -hmm. And then it shifts from cracked to ached, right? Mm -hmm. From cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather made banked fires blaze. So then it becomes a more open A sound, and that allows the ache to go with the labor, Mm-hmm. And the labor to remind us of what's been made. And then the banked fires blaze. And then that banking is picked up in the thanking, right? Made banked fires mm-hmm. blaze. No one ever thanked him. So the banking that's aligned with labor is also aligned with the thanking that never happens. So that's just in the first stanza, a way in which he creates these clusters of sound that directly contribute to the content of the poem. It it makes sense to be talking about ached and wake and breaking as a way of splintering the cold. There's this cracking open, this hard sound that's that's tying together those first six lines. Yes. And then and then the rooms were warm. 
I mean, there's an old linguistic experiment where uh, they have people talk about, uh, they give them two shapes, a circle and a star, I believe it is. And they say, which one is boo-boo and which one is kiki? And uh, <laughs> of course, boo-boo and kiki don't mean anything. But almost universally, people put boo-boo with the circle and kiki with the star. Because what? these wait, sa- wait, these wait, wait, sounds wait, wait, wait. fit fit those shapes. And, and notice what happens. As soon as the cold has splintered, what are the sounds that we get next? Room and warm and slowly we get warm sounds uh, can we go back to boo boo and kiki for a minute <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about i've never heard of this before yes. you make it sound like like you making it sound like we're just like walking the street walking a dog and you're telling me this anecdote and i'm like oh yeah sure That's, that everybody know what yeah yeah that's that's a thing what does it mean what, what does that mean i will look it up but no the, the 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 sense in which we associate certain shapes with certain sounds that's mm. that that sounds do have a certain um quality to them and that it's not a coincidence or an accident when we talk about poets using hard sounds like ached and waked mm. and breaking and when we say that they're hard sounds that makes a certain kind of sense uh, and then when we say that words like room and warm are soft sounds, that makes a certain kind of sense to people. And uh, and there's actually some experiments about this that, that suggest that that's, that's not just us throwing interpretations onto a poem, that there is something in that that, that makes sense to people. But the other thing that he does with these sounds is he speeds us up and slows us down in really interesting ways. So uh, in those first five lines, made, banked, fires, blaze, you can't read that fast. No. Each each word requires emphasis. Each word requires slowing down to, to look at and dwell on the labor of this father in the cold to make this fire blaze. But then look how fast and short is the sentence that follows. No one ever thanked him. Yeah. So it's not just that he is showing the indifference. It's that in the way that he spells out and expresses the indifference, we can almost pass over it without noticing it. Which is important to the point he's trying to make about love and gratitude. Um, And then elsewhere, he slows us down. So in stanza two, he says, and slowly I would rise and dress fearing the chronic angers of that house, right? So dress and house are very nice, but slowly is the word that really interests me there. And then later in the third stanza, what did I know? What did I know? That big open O Mm -hmm. and how it's aligned between slowly and no, it took him a long time to know this, Mm -hmm. right? And so the slowness of that realization is embedded in the language, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many ways through sound and structure and rhythm that he is moving us through this poem and creating narratives within narratives. Yeah, and it's such a it's such a complex poem for precisely that reason. This is a father who is offering love through these actions. Unfortunately, the son was looking for a different kind of love, but this was the love that the father had to offer. And so looking back now, the poetic speaker can recognize that, uh, but for so long he couldn't. And that's, of course, what's so painful about the poem. Hmm. Would you be willing to read this poem again? Yes, I'd be glad to. Those Winter Sundays. Sundays, too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. 
Then, with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? Hmm. So good. Thank you. We will have more Robert Hayden later, for sure. For sure. We want to show some incredible range to this incredible poet. But in the meantime, we hope you'll remember to subscribe to the Poetry for All podcast via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or any other provider. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. 